What is up? Welcome back. I know it's been a minute, but I've got something interesting for you. And the reason why it's kind of taken me a minute to put all this down for you and to record this episode is that um, I really wasn't sure if I wanted to talk about this or not, but I'm really glad that I did. And I've got a lot to cover. It's not going to get done in one episode. I'm actually thinking about probably dropping all of these as a series. And it's around the psychology of money which is a really, really interesting topic. It's something that not a lot of people talk about. They talk about money as emotional, and then they typically will leave it there that you know money is energy and that it has a velocity to it. It's got a thickness to it. It expands and contracts, and that's all great, but it seems really hard for us to kind of even wrap our minds around that. But I wanted to start out by telling you something that probably nobody else has told you before. No one's crazy. And that your personal experiences with money maybe make up like one one millionth of what actually happens in the world. But it probably is like 80% of how you think the world actually works. And I want to tell you about a problem. Now, hopefully it'll make you feel a little bit better about how you use your money, how you spend it, and maybe be a little bit less judgmental about what other people do with theirs. But I've seen people do really crazy things with money. But that doesn't make them crazy. And here's, here's the difference. People from different generations that were raised by different parents who earned different incomes and had totally different sets of values and in totally different parts of the world that were born into totally radically different economies with the different experiences, different job markets, and totally varying incentives, they all have very different lessons to learn. And they all view the world differently because of that. And everyone has their own unique experiences with how the world works. And what you've experienced is more compelling than what you'll learn secondhand. So when you learn money secondhand from somebody and not what your experience around money actually is, it seems foreign. And what seems crazy to me might seem perfectly rational to you. And the people who grew up in poverty think about risk and reward in ways that a child, or differently than the ways that a wealthy child grew up thinking about risk and reward. It's a totally different thing. Same with inflation. The people who grew up when inflation was super high experienced something that a person uh, who grew up when the stable prices never had to. People that went through the depression experienced money completely differently. It's really unique, isn't it? And this goes on and on and on because the list of experiences is endless. Now, you know stuff about money that I don't and vice versa. You go through life with different beliefs, different goals, different forecasts than I do. That's not because one of us is smarter than the other or has better information, just because our lives have been shaped differently. And your personal experiences with money maybe make up one one millionth of what's happened in the world. 
but I bet you about 80% of how you think about the world is viewed under this lens. Now, in his book in the 1930s, there was this American, Frederick Lewis Allen, wrote that the Great Depression marked millions of Americans inwardly for the rest of their lives. But there was a range of experiences. 25 years later, as he was running for president, John F. Kennedy was asked by a reporter what he remembered from the Depression. And here's what he had to say. I have no fear of firsthand knowledge from the Depression. My family had one of the greatest fortunes of the world, and it was worth more than ever then. We had bigger houses, more servants, we traveled more, but the only thing that I saw directly was when my father hired some extra gardeners just to give them a job so they could eat. I really did not learn about the Depression until I read about it at Harvard. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? This was a major, major contention point in the 1960s. Right? There was a lot going on in the world, possibly another war. The challenge for us is that no amount of studying or open mindlessness can genuinely recreate the power of fear and uncertainty that certain people have around money. I can read about it. I can see how people lost everything in the Great Depression. I can see how people lost everything in the 2008 market collapse. But we all see the world through a different lens. Now, this is why most people hate accountants, too, because they just want to model. They just want to model different historic elements. And often they're not forecasting or thinking forward about money. But when you study the history, you typically learn a lot of really unique and interesting things. And one of those is that we all think we know how the world works but we've all only experienced a tiny sliver of it. An investor, Michael Batnick, says, some lessons have to be experienced before they can be understood. We are all victims in different ways to that truth. But as we start thinking about the fact that no one's really crazy about money, because if you grew up when inflation was high, you invested less of your money in bonds later in life compared to those who grew up when inflation was low. And if you happen to grow up when the stock market was strong, you invested more of your money in stocks later in life compared to those who grew up when stocks were weak. We all go through these different financial times in our lives, and how we interpret those emotions from our parents matter too. So as we start looking at uncertain times in the near future, I want you to remember, nobody's crazy. We're just all viewing this from different lenses. And as we continue into the next series of the psychology of money, I want you to start thinking about a few things. That as we start looking at risk versus reward, as we start looking at luck, it's all influenced around emotion. And for a topic that's so influenced by emotion versus fact, this is actually a really big problem. And it helps explain why we don't always do what we're supposed to with money. We all do crazy stuff with money because we're all relatively new to this game. And what looks crazy to you might make sense to me, but no one is crazy. We all make decisions based off of our own unique experiences that seem to make sense to us in a given moment. Now, in the next coming episodes, we're going to talk about how Bill Gates got rich. We're going to talk about confounding and compounding interests. We're going to talk about getting wealthy versus staying wealthy. 
We're also going to talk about how you view the world. Tails, you win. Heads, you lose. What freedom with money looks like and how it can continuously be influential in your life. Different paradoxes. Where's wealth that you don't necessarily see it? How I save money. What's reasonable over rational? And how do we start to parse those two out? How we've been surprised by the history and the study of change and how that's actually come to surprise many of us even still today as they're working on building up their fortune. How to estimate for error and how to leave room in your life for when things don't necessarily go your way. And how you'll probably change your views about money overall. How to negotiate for freedom. And most importantly, how nothing's free. And it's because it comes down to you and me. How we make our own decisions. How we address fear. What our tolerance form is. How pessimistic you are versus how optimistic. And where you choose to actually believe. And when you'll believe anything. And when you'll believe absolutely nothing. Guys, if you haven't shared this podcast yet, you know I don't run ads. I don't try to pitch you products you don't need. So you stayed around to the end like I know many, many, many of you do because we track analytics. Why wouldn't I? I'm a marketer. Please share the show. We've grown entirely organically up to this point. I've got some incredible guests coming on in the next few weeks for you, one of which is actually going to talk to you about how to leverage a podcast to grow your business. But go share the show. Share it with a friend, somebody that's struggling with their marketing. Give them this tool. Bring them into the Neural Marketing Blueprint Facebook community. And if you're not in there, you definitely need to be. It's free, and it's probably the best online resource right now of teaching you how to implement neural marketing practices into your marketing. But guys, share the show. It means a lot to me, and I look forward to catching you in the next few episodes as we dig more into the psychology of money. Peace. Peace.